I'm Jeff Lester, and welcome to Wait, What? Comics Podcast for the Savage Critics website. The finale of episode 59 picks up a split second after part one left off, with Graham McMillan and I launching into a full discussion of Craig Thompson's Habibi, as well as reviews and opinionated blabity blab about the first issues of Voodoo, Superman, The Flash, Brilliant, Bakuman's Volumes 5 and 6, and much more. It's almost 80 minutes of non-New Kids on the Block comic slinging fun, and we hope you enjoy it. As always, thanks for listening. And I bring all this up because I'm still wrestling with my feelings about Habibi, which I finished yesterday by Craig Thompson. And I don't mean to... We can no, 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 no. We've, we've definitely done like, we've done like an hour about this. Let, let's talk <laughs> to Habibi because I'm really curious. But also, I'm kind of scared because I've not read it. Mm-hmm. Does that make sense? So I feel like I can't... I can't offer anything to this debate at all. No, I, 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 like it's, uh, yeah. it's not a debate. It's, it's a monologue right. that I'm admittedly very curious about. Right. Well, let me let me hold off for a bit no, longer. No, 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 we no. I spoke, so you've just read it, and I know you're, you're I don't want to say troubled. I, I, <laughs> I know you have, I know you have words, and I want to hear the words. Go. Right. Okay. I am troubled by Habibi because uh, with the proper context of, I read it when I got my hands on a copy last week, which is precisely around the time of Catwoman number one and uh, Red Hood and the Outlaws. Uh, And I I should mention right here now that in some ways part of me is like, you know, I could probably let this slide because I had a lunch today with uh, Jarrett Kobeck, who's a listener of the podcast, who wrote a really interesting little book called Atta, A-T-T-A, from, uh, let me see here, it by it is by the crazed uh, semiotext press, which is distributed by MIT Press. I I, um, I should we should just interrupt right now to say this. That's what you're going to see last week. Last week I was going to go to Comics Underground in Portland, and I know that lots of people in the comments have basically said what's happened. Nothing. Yes, I, I didn't go, uh, and I didn't go for no reason other than basically time ran out with stuff that was happening at home and if I'd gone I would have been more than an hour late I would have missed all the performances I think uh, so yeah it's it, there's there, I, I really do feel like I've let people down by A not going and B they're not being a kerfuffle yeah but, there was but no th- drama. Things, things didn't happen sorry sorry right. sorry everyone and you mentioned that Kate Kate also kind of like things got late enough that Kate basically got to the stage of ah let's just oh no no it really pretty much was one of those you know it got to the event started at eight it got to nine o'clock and we're still nowhere near getting ready to go right and it was one of those you know yeah are we really going yeah are we really going to leave the house at ten o'clock for something to start at eight o'clock that we've probably missed (laughs) like it, it turned into one of those and I was like. You know, or we could eat. Do you know what I mean? Like, or we could have food and sit down. Right. So yeah, it it didn't it didn't happen. Sorry, listeners. Um, yes. I know. Sorry, listeners. I know many of you were really hoping to just something, and I'm not quite sure what each of you was hoping, but something would happen, and so nothing happens. Sorry. Um, okay. Back to your back to the thing. You had lunch with Jared. I had lunch with Jarrett after going and hearing him read last week. Uh, he listens to the podcast and I actually told a really, I thought, pretty funny story uh, later on about his girlfriend sort of being tormented by our podcast. Oh, God. Uh, Sorry, Jarrett's girlfriend. <laughs> exactly. That's kind of what I said. I'm like, oh, Jesus, we will write a note. Uh, but um, 
talking with him about Habibi made me feel a little bit better because interestingly enough Jared's like one of his favorite comic books like up until he essentially couldn't get issues anymore like he missed four or five issues is Dave Sim's Glamourpuss so we were talking about Glamourpuss and Sim and kind of amazing that this was Jared was like yeah he like he was like I was at a stage where all he was basically reading was anything Morrison was putting out so it was like Morrison's Batman R.I.P. and Dave Sim's Glamourpuss and I'm like wow that's an interesting combo and so he sort of talked about Glamourpuss and the things that he liked about it and the things that struck me about it is for those listeners who are horrified slash appalled by the conclusions that Graham and I jumped to about what's going on in a creator, specifically free, recently Matt Fraction's head while creating, do not pick up Glamourpuss. Because apparently one of the things that makes it such a must read, uh, according to Jarrett, is that Sim, in the course of tracing panels from the great you know, photorealist masters, you know, Alex Raymond on, on Rip Kirby and uh, Caniff's work. Um, he he will actually trace the panel and talk, like, like speculate what's going on in the cartoonist's head while he's drawing the panel that he's drawing or what kind of relationships, like whether Milk Caniff was like sleeping with his models and things like this. Apparently he's got some whole thing about, uh, I want to say Arnold Drake, who drew Doom Patrol? No. No, he wrote Doom Patrol. He wrote Doom Patrol. Arnold Drake, I think, is an artist. Uh, uh, apparently, like Dave Sin, spends incredible amounts of time trying to get into his brain. So, apparently, listeners, for those listeners who like Graham and I at our stalkeriest, definitely do check out Glamour Plus, although apparently it's absurdly hard to get back issues of that. Um, Habibi by Craig Thompson fills me with a lot of anguish because I feel that the book is so formalistically amazing and Craig Thompson put so much of his life into this and Craig Thompson is such an incredibly um, well-regarded and well-intentioned guy like Habibi is an extraordinarily well-intentioned book that I feel that nobody is going to take it to task and I feel this creepy weight on my shoulders of, okay, do I let this slide or do I do it, you know, because I think everyone's just going to give it a pass. And if it's not that great, it'll just pass along. But I feel that Habibi has weird shit going on in it about the the male gaze and the sexual gaze uh, in it. Like, it tries to craft these really intricate dimen- multi-dimensional characters without actually doing so like it really is a book that to to totally swipe your phrasing Graham it's like um, about Casanova it's a book about love by somebody who hasn't really ever maybe loved anyone before which sounds terrible I mean it's a terrible thing to say because I got believe me I got this book signed by Craig Thompson and he could not have been a sweeter more generous guy you know but you know when you finish a book and something's not right about it and you're trying to figure out what i mean is this like my alan moore writes about sex like someone that's never had sex yeah it might be because what what, what i think is funny is i can see where you're where you're going and like i said i've not read a bb but Mm -hmm. i automatically object the idea that craig thompson hasn't felt love because i think one of his problems is that he's so wrapped up in uh 
an idea of love, mm-hmm. that he feels to me like the creator who falls in love too often. Right. That idealizes but... love, that... I think it, well, part of it might be it depends how you define love. Mm-hmm. Yes, exactly. Exactly. When You know, Craig Thompson is a guy who, fall, I'm sure, passionately... Um, romantically falls in love with someone and he is an incredibly like Habibi the book is drawn like when you talk about someone who is in love with the female form he's in love with the female form and he goes to huge lengths to to craft Doldora the the main female character in the book as a character that he's very carefully thought about various angles and done his best not to make her be just all painted as one thing. She's got her negative currents and her drawbacks. She's got her strengths and she's got her failings. And yet, so much of it still at the same time is she is an object of physical adoration. Not just by the author, but part of what goes on in the book is she um, who she's had a horrible life and she adopts a, another orphan as essentially her own son and what happens to them over the course of their lives in this this world uh, and how they try to survive it has and, and this is what I mean like you, we talk about someone when you when you when you love someone in like the the way that people love somebody when they're like 22 or 20 21 22 years old and they're just like Oh, I love this person so much. And this is like in blankets for me. One of my big problems with blankets was A, the sentimentality, but B, so much of the book is about the narrator being in love with this one woman. Oh, God, no, entirely. But then, what did you think of Carnet de Voyage? Uh, As you know, you and I both loved Carnet de Voyage. Do you like it for the same reasons that I do, i.e. so much of it is him making fun of that? Where, where you get you get him I don't even know if it's making fun I think it's like existential angst I think making fun is right. my take on it whereas I think he's tortured at the idea of like do I love her enough oh what is right. love whereas for me I read it as he's at least aware of his ridiculous you know operatic emotions I think no I think he's aware of it actually what I appreciate in Carnet de Voyage is it is presented I think more honestly and candidly, like almost without context, it almost seems silly. Like, and so at the end, that sort of ridiculous over the top postscript to the book where he's just sort of running around yelling out, I'm sorry, I'm sorry, you know, to women and this woman and just kind of just apologizing generally for, you know, sort of his. Existence. (laughs) Yeah, phallocratic nature, you know, like. Thompson is a guy who I think is incredibly, you know, he's got a, he's got a huge heart on, <laughs> and he is really sorry about it, and he really is. But there's this weird context of, but I feel like he still doesn't know. Like the characters in Habibi, well, okay, so in Blankets, and this is my this was my big example is like for him then is he's in love with this this woman so much and then when they're together it's like this coming together and like when you're reading the book you're like ah and you feel the young love rapture and then when it's over like three pages later and it's fallen apart his descriptions about why and how are so unbelievably was to me anyway unbelievably 
unsatisfying and spent with not one ounce of sort of self-reflection. Like, so I feel like Thompson has a very strong grip on what it means to to physically adore someone, but he cannot face up to the fact that if he's in a relationship, it doesn't, it's not, it's not a real thing. Like he doesn't, he can't, he can't quite measure out the yearning for the, the, the other stuff, the real stuff. Like the, what, what I think of is the real love where it doesn't matter what the person that you're in love with actually technically looks like by that point, that they are such a part of you that the things that, that move them, you know, like it, it doesn't have to do with how they look. It has to do with how they exist. And the only reason why I feel, and this is unbelievably unfair, it, but I feel it, is, is that in Habibi, he spends, you spend hundreds of pages with these characters, and these two characters talk constantly and are shown. He visually shows you that they are in love with one another, but when they're together, there's no communication. In fact, part of, by the last uh, fifth of the book, so much hinges on the things that the two of them do not say despite the situations that they've been in in which it almost seems impossible that it wouldn't be. You know what I mean? Like, it's very... It it doesn't make sense. And, and the characters themselves are so resolutely one note. I mean, he does a fantastic job of taking that note and twisting it and amplifying it, you know, so it seems like they're multidimensional characters, but they're not. They're still just defined by one thing, like just one single fucking thing and how that plays out. I mean, he plays it out like a tremendous variation, just like he does in the art, but it's still only one thing. Like, this is what drove me crazy. I I mean, I love the book, but it's done by a well-intentioned guy who is totally unaware of how much he is reinforcing the things that he doesn't think that he's aware of reinforcing. Like, on the one hand, he seems very aware that the sexual gaze and that the male gaze, like, how much of that is the transfer of the the the, the, the empowered, like, fetishizing the powerless. And then, believe me, there's... He couldn't be more explicit about how he has those situations laid out in the book, so there's a way in which he's very clearly aware of it, but in a way that he's not aware that he's doing it, or he's not aware of the way that he's, like, this book is so, like is so self and other confused. I mean, not confused in the tr- sense of like, oh, I don't know who I am. It's in the sense of he really has no idea how much otherness he's injecting into these characters even as he's like going, working so hard to um, in- invest the, to make it seem like he's not. So it's kind of a weird flip side to Chester Brown's pain for it, I feel, because Chester Brown's pain for it unbelievably artless. You know what I mean? Mm-hmm. Like, I, I appreciate the craft in it, but there's no way that you can, I feel, genuinely be swayed by what Chester Brown is saying because what Chester Brown is saying is so stripped of any artifice. You know what I mean? Yes, but be- which I think is actually meant to be the selling point of what Chester... Like, I think that's meant to convince you of what Chester Brown is saying. 
right. I think his thing is is like, look, I'm not trying. To I'm not dressing it up. Centimize you. Yeah, yeah, I'm not dressing it up. This is why you can just see the truth, the plain unadorned truth, and agree with me. And it's kind of like, no, I think you're kind of like uh, you've got some serious emotional problems. Craig Thompson, because he is so, I think he's trying to work through these things or cover up the essential things in his nature that he doesn't quite want to face about himself and because no one necessarily maybe like sat him down and said like dude like I appreciate what you're trying to do but you are working like in incredibly objectifying ways um, doing exactly what you are railing against in the book because it's something that you don't like in yourself but you need to understand like how these things work like it's awesome that you did all this amazing research on Arabic but you know, women's studies class, maybe? Like, if that's something? <laughs> like, seriously, what, this what's is that thing thing that's for important me is, to you? It doesn't necessarily sound like he doesn't understand what love is. It sounds to me like he is not necessarily in control of what he is doing. And I think they're different things. I think that what might be happening is he is so guarded about his own experience of love, which strikes uh-huh. me as something that I could completely see from reading his other books. I feel that he is someone who is so defensive about the um, sanctity or purity right. of romantic love that he doesn't want to share that or turn that into a commodity and so he right. creates this lifeless alternative and I think pro- part of the problem might be maybe he's just not that good a writer and, well, and you, I, feels, I feels to me like that is what you're dancing around saying by, no, by no. saying that the characters are one note right. and that he's doing great things with that note but it's still one note that, well, surely, but, surely that's a failure as a writer well but see I guess this is my thing this is the thing that worries me is, is that I had this like you know I feel like once we climbed out of these fraction-esque weeds like I'm climbing back down into a variation of them because I really feel like no I I mean, I say they're one-note characters, but when you read them, Graham, I mean, it's it's hard to... They are one-note in precisely the way that characters are supposed to be in literature or movies or, you know, in the idea of, like, they embody, like, a principle or a theme. So, so they're, not, they're not a character, they're an ideal. They're, they're, you're, they're, you're, well, you're, you're, you're talking for characters as metaphor and characters as icons? Well... Okay, as I think uh, we we had a reader, and gosh, I pull his name up, a a listener to the podcast who wrote a a really great little super measured response about this stuff uh, on my initial thoughts, Michael Laughlin. Um, As he points out, the, the characters are characters that are dealing with essentially lives of slavery and sexual abuse, and there's a lot of this book is very rapey and not in a salacious way. Like it's very aware of uh, kind of rape as a, a terrible thing. And also about the terribleness of fetishizing it and objectifying it, for example. So he takes those things and he builds them into the characters. And this is originally when I was frustrated with it, I was like, yes, but they're not, really characters because they don't have more than just this 
one dimension in this one like even when it's variations on that dimension but the fact is there are many great characters in literature in comics uh, in movies that in fact do take an idea like a, a, a motivation and then think about it so deeply that they wrap those things um, back in on themselves I, I kind of agree but I also think that when you have a complaint of this character is one dimensional or one more right. Mm-hmm. I feel like that's a failure of the writing. I feel that if the, if you come away thinking that, mm-hmm. then the writer has not done a good enough job creating enough variations on that note to basically convince you that it's not there. Do you know what I mean? I think there are I think there genuinely are a lot of great one note characters, but I think every single one of the great one note characters you have to stop and think about before you realize they're one note. I think on your if you're if on your first read through you essentially think ah, you know is this character missing something then that's the fault of the writer. Maybe, maybe I mean because my thing is is I originally well it, there are problems as the book goes on that I do feel are really problematic. The thing that's tough is it's so structurally so well thought out and some of the storytelling, also like at a level of which he constructs his symbols and then has his symbols return as motifs throughout the book and how they interconnect and literally uh, in the interplay of them is really astonishing. Um, so part of me is like, yeah, maybe it's just his craft is so amazing that I'm finding it hard to fault him as a writer, but it just seems to me like it's more, like I said, to me it feels like the curse of the autodidact of like, you know, and maybe I'll turn around, I should like, Wikipedia I and mean, make sure he doesn't have like some four year degree from some school but I really have this feeling of like man this guy like should be should have taken some classes and I don't mean that in any sort of bad way but I feel like there's some weird way. lack of void well you know what I mean like because it well I, I guess maybe I'm trying to defend myself from coming off as some sort of elitist snob but I just feel like there's this weirdo void at the whole of the book that I cannot figure out and I'm willing to acknowledge might very well be me but um, but like I said the curse of the autodidact makes me feel like maybe what happened was because he's such an incredibly smart guy the, 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 so much of the stuff seems super well researched and well thought out but it, it's I'm not sure it's actually genuinely well felt you know what I mean like it's felt passionately but not well and I don't know if that just makes me sound like a fuddy-duddy or old. Uh, I don't... It's fine. I. This is why I think that you should read it, because I could see where... Interestingly, it's interesting for me to have these complaints, because normally I'm so won over by formalist panache. Yeah, exactly. I, so I'm, you. I'm normally the one who's like, but where's the heart? Exactly. And I think, I think you're going to read this, and part of me, I think would be like oh no it's you know you might be because i put it down and i'm like it's certainly got enough heart i'm like but it's got the same it's weird variations on the same problem it's you know the same way that his earlier work was too sentimental like this has that same thing where the feelings aren't just they're not they're you know they're so in the earlier books they're so overblown you're like okay he's just young now at this stage I'm like I think that there's a level of he protests too much like he's got a thing of like at at the core of it he's 
I think Craig Thompson is really trapped in himself in a way that he is not happy with, uh, is trying to heavily hide, and unfortunately, because he's so he has so much craft and it's so well hidden, I think people are going to pick up Habibi for like years to come and end up walking away with it with some like really kind of weird ideas in their head. Uh, I, I, unfortunately, because because what you see underneath it is you know what I mean like what what's there might be something completely different alternatively it is fine and my psyche is a bag of snakes which I'm more than willing to admit is um, you know not only could be the case but is more than likely the case <laughs> I honestly thought we're saying you're heading towards the Craig Thompson is a sociopath and he is going overboard trying to convince us he does feel things <laughs> I, no, I, I thought, think, for, I thought yeah. for a second that's where you were going, and I kind of wanted you to go there. I, well, if it makes you feel better, I think he feels things passionately. I just don't think he... I'm not sure he's actually to, genuinely able to feel them with actual human beings, which is close enough to calling him a sociopath, isn't it? I, yes, well done. Thank you. I, 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 just, I didn't think you'd end up going there, but you did. Yeah, no, I, that of, is very kind much Kind of my to my surprise. Really? <laughs> Dude, I'm always... I guess I'm too eager to please. So, Fury of Firestorm. <laughs> Can I just say, and I don't think it's just me, are you sick of DC Comics by now? <laughs> I know. Isn't it like we can handle like one month of this much shit? Yeah, seriously, like if, like, this, like if this is the same next month, I'm going to jump off a building. Yeah, no, totally, totally. Well, I, I just don't think it will, it'll just be because I think part of it is, despite what we say otherwise, I'm not sure everyone really does read 52 comics in a month like we might think that we do. But, I mean, and let's face it, there's stuff... Well, I, I, I read, I've read on top 52. Of which, I've read 52 right. of the thing. And, it has and said, you've read other books. Yeah, no, but what I was going to say is I think reading all 52 of DC this month like right. has broken my brain. Yeah. Like, it yeah, feels I, overwhelming. Mm-hmm. Doing that yeah. fucking piece... Dude. Oh, my God. Honestly, I started with a pile and I was like, yeah, this is going to take me an hour... I'll be really quick. No, 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 no. And honestly, yeah. I got to my where I was like, I've got to be halfway through, right? And I count them and I've done like 10. It was just like, <laughs> there are so many fucking comics. It's true. Uh, listeners, I'm sure you probably know, but if you haven't, Graham on the Savage Critic website, uh, savagecritic.com, recapped all 52 books, and it was an amazing thing to see. It really was. And to read. Um, Mostly just to see, but um, yeah, no, seriously, I, I am, I am, I'm burned out. I really am. To the point where things like Superman, which I think is an appalling comic, right? Like I'm flattened by it at this point. Do you know what I mean? Like Voodoo, I feel like in a, in a regular month, Voodoo, I would be just like, what the hell is this? And instead, I'm like, well, it's another completely creepy and objectifying comic. <laughs> you know what I mean? Like, it, it completely flattens your mind. Right, right, right. No, exactly. I, I, I think you're absolutely right, reading that many books. Well, um, so let's, because I haven't read Voodoo, although I love to hear about it. Uh, Voodoo sure is honestly just, um, Voodoo is a comic where the art is working against the writing. The writing, mm-hmm. he genuinely, I think, believes that he is playing with the iconography of cheesecake and of sex in a knowing way that somehow undercuts it and then he's got this art which is just like hey cleavage blah 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 waka 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 <laughs> uh, and it's 
Fozzie Bear is actually doing this book. That's I, it's, I'm it's gonna check it out now. He, he takes over the art with this too. Um, <laughs> but no, really, it, it it's yeah, it's just it's I like the first line uh, or the first page rather. It's like, are you ready, gentlemen? Because this is why you're here. This is who you came to see. And there's that level of like, I am like, I know what you're thinking. But it's not smart enough. Do you know what I mean? Like, showing strippers complaining that they can't find babysitters does not humanize them enough to undo the objectification of women on every other page in the comic. Right. Do you know what I mean? And it's one of those like, well, it's a comic about strippers. You're not going to get around it. Sure, but you can kind of get around it. Or rather, yeah. you maybe not be able to get around it entirely, but you cannot celebrate it. I guess you know, the thing—the thing that's uh, there is God. I wish. Let's see how quickly I can find it, if at all. Like about a month ago, I was obsessed with this uh, female photographer who is currently here in San Francisco. I think she's leaving to go back to Mexico soon. Um, she has been doing a big photo project where she has been photographing women in uh she did a series of women at home and women women who are strippers them at home and them at the club oh god that sounds awesome it's fantastic she's such a good photographer and so she's got like she's got photos of women that are there and and she also did a whole she moved out of this whole sequence of photographing the women in the back rooms so as they're talking and relating and stuff like that it's great let's see if i can find it um it really was like i was completely obsessed with her work and trying to figure out a way to work it in and she would be a great she would have been a great source for that because her photos really do end up being so oh here we go her it is um alicia vera and let me see if I can go to I think the, the website is aliciavera.wordpress.com that's A-L-I-C-I-A-V-E-R-A dot wordpress.com and the page is loading slowly it's all of her, she's got like 9 million tumblers and she's got some lovely stuff of San Francisco generally um, some of it's just straight out documentary stuff but sometimes like this first page is kind of stuff that's not necessarily exceptional but she's got this shot like like uh, the one that's like after hours like September 8th 2011 where it's like baby Elise and DJT at the Roaring Twenties and it's just it's just people sitting around the woman's like smoking and everyone is these women are wearing their short shorts, but yeah, it's, no... it's it's remarkably unsexy. Or no, not not unsexy. It's remarkably um, non-exploitive. Non-exploitative. Yes. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Exactly. Which so... I mean, so okay. So the next image, the next post down from that is the, mm-hmm. the woman I'm guessing in their changing room or something. And there's yes. something so non-pose and non-matter of fact that if you looked at that and then you looked at mm-hmm. Voodoo you'd be like, there's a world of difference. Exactly. I mean, exactly. it's, it's amazing. Um, mm-hmm. And it's, it's that's that's why Voodoo ultimately fails. And it's kind of hilarious and sad because Ron Mars, the, the writer for you know the last two weeks, has been like, you think it's cheesecake, wait till you see it, it's not going to be what you think. And then you read it and you're like, it's exactly what I thought, but <laughs> I can see why you thought it wasn't. Right, right. But, yeah, but it's exactly. one of those things where it's like, 
the reason that you thought you, you it wasn't is part of the problem. It's the same thing as, well, what's your problem with sex and Catwoman because it's empowering to them? And it's like, it's not. Read the book. Right. Right. It's the same thing. Totally. It's exactly the same thing. Um, which is just, like I said, like, in, in, if there hadn't been 52 fucking comics, I would have been more upset. And it is. I'm just disappointed. Right. Like, you, you well, get yeah. crushed by this. You really do. Mm-hmm. 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 You do. And I think it has this amazing tendency to... Yeah, by this stage, I don't know. I mean, it's just after, kind of after last week. I think everyone's like, oh, I think everyone's just like, oh, what the fuck? Which is, I think everyone's just beat. Nobody really quite has the energy to be able to sit down and take some of these books to task. I, I man, they read Superman. Yeah, like Superman. <laughs> they read Superman. I, you know, I did recently because I remember seeing you on Twitter. You're like appalled. I'm like, eh, I'll check it out. And um, it's it's just bad from like fifteen different angles. Yeah, it's and like the, the, the craft is terrible. Mm-hmm. Uh, but mm-hmm. I honestly just can't get over. I can't get over a couple things. One, the dialogue is appalling. Mm-hmm. I can't believe they didn't bring in a scripter. I cannot believe that they were like this. This is fine to go out. Um, the art is really lazy, but it's mm-hmm. honestly more than anything, it's the media stuff that just makes me laugh. Right. It's it's honestly someone who maybe saw I don't know a documentary in 1999 and was like, oh, I know how everything's working right now. So like right. things like Lois Lane was a news anchor and now she's running the entire news organization. Yeah, and then she's like, yeah. Prince is dying. It's like, yeah, that's a good reason to go into television. Like, why is no one talking about the internet? It's it's just. Oh, right. there's so many, and like they knock over the building for no mutually apparent reason. But there's a new building, and you can't tell if the new building's actually real or if it's a model of the new building, and they're in some other building. And then you get you get to read Clark's story as narration, and Clark's story is so badly written that he would yeah. never get a job. At, like the Smallville Times wouldn't. Well, that's always job. been a that's no, always I mean, been a problem. Yeah, sure. That is when so you, amplified. When you, when you cross it over, like I mean, what is it? One, two, three, four, five, mm-hmm. six, seven, eight, eight pages. Mm-hmm. If you're running Clark's story over eight pages, it can't be that bad. It can't be that bad because honestly, you end the story being thinking, no wonder they want to get Clark onto television because Clark can't write for shit. Right, exactly. No, I mean it is. It's I mean that part's terrible because it's that classic like, oh, we'll try and like you know. We'll show you why he's such a great writer. Well, no, but they're doing that weird like we're showing you we're we're basically doing the well we're doing all the exposition this way so it's clever and I'm like. There's nothing clever. I mean, and it's this weird. It, it it's also it's the dullest I, fight, isn't it? Uh, well, see, this is my problem. I always thought that George Perez's Wonder Woman, which I, which a lot of people loved back in the time, was unbelievably goddamn boring at every level. And this is like that. It's just, it's worse in so many ways. Because I it's, think it's hilarious. It is so insanely dull. It, this it, fire it monster really comes is. and then they wrestle and then he holds up something and then he's done the end where did he come from and you're like I don't care I don't uh, care I mean it really is so bad it's so it it 
it miss it's it really is like it it so misunderstands the nature of the characters in every way like i'm just i'm so shocked like if you think about it like how to step aside from all the boring bullshit, which they spent way too much on, like, way, way, way too much. Yeah, I, I was really glad to be reading, like, the Daily Planet's monthly guest starring Superman. Yeah, exactly. How can you... Like, I was thinking of this, like, how can you just, like, from a very simple level, how can you, like, be doing a Superman comic in the era, uh, or rather, doing a comic book about Clark Kent and Lois Lane's relationship in the era of The Office and still fuck it up. You know what I mean? Like, I was just thinking about how many people, and there were millions of people that were so into the U.S. version of The Office, the romance. Yeah, the Jim and Pam, yeah. Yeah, Jim and Pam. It's the easiest thing in the world to... T- You've got eight years of templates of people who you want to see get together not get together but you're so super invested in it and instead they're like oh no 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 let's do it in a way so that we like nobody you well that's just I mean? it like, like no one comes out of Superman issue one well no one nobody. there's not one character who comes out of it likable yeah yeah which is not stunning or yeah. even interesting it's made yeah. all of the characters boring yeah they're well again I think the Perez but yeah they are dull I mean, I know that they're trying to, like, show, like, I really felt like a good chunk of this book was going to be, like, let's show Lois Lane in a completely, like, ass-kicking way. And I was like, yeah, I liked broadcast news a lot back in 1988, a lot. Like, Lois Lane is an ass-kicking way? Here I am in my office. Fly that helicopter closer. Hey, Jimmy, hack that. That's not ass-kicking. Like, there's a reason no one has ever thought that Perry White was the hero of Superman. Right, exactly. Because a news producer. But this is why I'm like, if you saw, if, have you seen broadcast news? Yeah, I've seen broadcast news, but that's not what happens here. No, I know, because they biffed it and it's dull. But, you know, there I kind of get it because it's that same thing of like, in, I feel like in broadcast news, she is a woman who's in charge, who knows everything and put everything together. And you see her controlling things because of her knowledge base of how everything works. That's what they decided to go with here. And like you said, it's really dull and boring. Also, I laughed almost out loud every time I saw Clark Kent's hair. Like, yes, Clark it's Kent is wearing a toupee. He's wearing Although, a fucking toupee. It's did, fucking did, men's club for hair hair. Did, yes, did I saw this, the, the, the story. Yeah. Mm-hmm. That they redrew it to look that way, which is even worse. It's even worse. But also, the glasses are terrible as well. Like, what, yeah. they must have redrawn that, you know, in 10 minutes before it went to press or something. Or got, yeah, yeah, yeah. Because that's appalling work. Yeah. Yeah, no, it really is. Those are those are the dumbest it, things. It genuinely struck me as they drew it before they saw action number one. Then they saw action number one. They're like, okay, let's retrofit that look. Yeah, completely, completely. You know, which is I, uh, again ridiculous because guess what? People can change their glasses in five years. <laughs> I know exactly over the period of time. Like you wouldn't expect them to. You would expect them to have something else. It's just. Part of the thing that's a shame is, is I felt like this book worked super, super hard to be to to be compressed. Like it's not decompressed storytelling. There's like, abs- like I haven't seen this oh, it's, many it's panels on a page. Dense. 
Yeah, and yet still fucking dull, and nothing feels like it's happened, which is an astonishing waste of tremendous amounts of hard work. To have that many panels and to show nothing and to have no investment. I couldn't care less about that fire creature. Like, I was like, this, it felt like a real jump back to, you know, the Carrie Bates, Elliot S. Magan era, except Superman would take care of the fire creature in like five pages of Kurt Swan work, and then you would find out that the fire creature was actually the last hope of its planet and was actually, you know, trying to do good or something like that. It's, it really is just an appallingly bad comic, isn't it? It is. It was, it was I, really it's, lousy. It's a disaster. Yeah, it really is kind I, of... I, you know what's really sad? I realized mm-hmm. I'm not going to get Superman number two. I'm just, mm-hmm. like, I'm just not interested. This will be the first time I've not gotten both Superman titles since Infinite Crisis, which is five wow. years. Yeah, that's amazing. That's amazing. On the flip side, we can talk about how The Flash was so much better than... Oh, The Flash, the Flash was amazing. And I, yeah. again, did, did not expect it. Mm-hmm. Did not expect it at all. I loved... I, I found Barry interesting. I mm-hmm. adore the relationship he's got with Iris. Yeah. I love yeah, yeah, yeah. completely eager and he's... A oblivious and be kind of annoyed when he's not oblivious. Um, mm-hmm. I thought the art was great. I thought the layout yeah. spectacular. That double page um, introduction mm-hmm. is mm-hmm. lovely. It's yeah. so so great. Um, yeah, I, I loved it, and I, I I was not expecting to. After the last flash series, I was not expecting to like this at all, and it's it's great. It's great. It's a it's a little iffy as far as its actual superhero plot goes. It makes some really weird leaps there to get that going, but I'm okay with that. Honestly, I kind of liked how it was kind of small scale. I just and I like the fact that you've got Barry Allen is a guy who's just actually working hard, who's invested in it because he cares about a friend and he wants to do the right thing. Yeah. You know what I mean? Yeah. Like I was um, so and also, uh, I like the lack of soap opera between him and his girlfriend. Right. Do you know what I mean? Like, yeah, I like that yeah, idea. Yeah. Like they're just together. Do you know what I mean? Mm-hmm. And and she's not. Who is that reporter? Why is she making eyes at you? Yeah. Where have you been all this time? Instead, it's just like, yeah, we've got a job to do. Just ignore her. Blah blah blah. Like I, I, yeah. I, I really was very happily surprised by the plot. Yeah, I kind of, I kind of hope they put that romantic triangle keep that going for a while because I of course really liked his female the the woman that he's dating instead of Iris I thought that that was actually great uh, did you read Aquaman? I did because I, I knew that it was one of those that I would have to read and and it's fascinating to me how lost Jeff John seems in the new 52 you yeah, know? yeah it, he, he's, he's simultaneously become the template for all the books and mm-hmm somehow lost everything not everything that makes him interesting but his own work is reading like someone has read lots of Jeff John's comics and is trying to do it yeah and it's with the exception of Green Lantern uh right 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 no actually but it doesn't work because of Jeff John's if that makes sense like it works for all the things that I wouldn't expect from Jeff John's it's much funnier than a Jeff John's comic it's the one where he's actually where he is sort of stepping away from the Jeff Johns template. Although I felt like Aquaman was the laziest version of a Jeff Johns comic I've seen in some times. That was like so lazy it was like a Brian Bendis comic. You know what I mean? Like, 
okay, I've done this thing, and everyone's like really super obvious. Oh, ha ha ha, Aquaman! And then the next thing, oh, I'm in a sea Aquaman, what are you doing there? Yes, yeah. The sea threshold scene was stunning on so many levels. Fucking Why Christ. are you here? I have a point to make about how serious I am as a character. I'm a mysterious blogger who would like to ask you some incredibly obvious and pointed questions. Yes! yes. Why don't I have a fight with you about it? You know that, like, here is the most obvious meta textual commentary I could ever make. Ever. Obvious and lazy. Oh my god, it was really lazy. Ah, I think that was the thing that appalled me, is like, like, I've seen Jeff Johns, like, it's I feel like it's so overworked he like fucks things up and I've seen him do stuff that has been sort of I don't know churlish but that really had the air of not even like oh I've only got 15 minutes to write this issue it's more like I've only got 15 minutes to write this issue frankly I would like to spend 10 minutes of it soaking my feet so I'm going to write it in 5 you know like it really was I still liked it I, I thought the art was lovely. Honestly, I thought the I, art I, I, for sold some, so much. For of some it. reason, I still liked it. Okay, I I understand. I did not. Uh, in part because I, I think I think I like again I like lack of soap opera with Mira, and I like the the bad guys. I like the thread of the bad guys. I like, I thought the last page was effective. I actually like the structure with the, the opening and end being essentially the same thing. I I like I found that. I found it, I guess, um, good because in a way I found it professional in a way that a lot of other comics aren't. Mm-hmm. Do you know what I mean? Like it was really solid. It was enjoyable. Yeah. Again, this is where the, this is where the grading curve comes in because there's some other ones that are so terrible that Aquaman right. suddenly looks like the greatest comic in the world in comparison. You know, for me, honestly, I, I think it's just the art. I think I've I've always liked Ivan Rice. Uh, and I feel like he's been mismatched on so many projects, and I think Aquaman is could end up being maybe the perfect book for him, you know, because his sort of whole Neil Adamsy take really works super well with with Aquaman, you know, where I, I'm going to pull your mind here, Jeff. Yes, Ivan Rice is the Jim Paro of today. I I I would subscribe to that. Yes, sir. Yes, I will. Um, that's really funny. Uh, yeah, that you really—it's funny. I see, I see him being a little more Adamsy in some way. I think. But so was Aparo when he started. Yes, true, and maybe he'll go that way. But then Aparo becomes his own beautiful, beautiful thing. Let me tell you. And then he stops uh, being his own. Then he it becomes a cliche of his own beautiful thing. Well, you know, he was consistent. That's true, but by the end. Yeah, well, I don't know how far down the end. I admittedly I didn't follow him down the road of Batman and the Outsiders Phil, but Oh, he was no, he was still good then. I'm talking yeah. about his return to Batman after that. When Mike DiCarlo started thinking him, it was pretty much all downhill from there. Ooh. Was that during was that when he was doing it when Starlin was back? Yes, and, stuff like and that? then then Yeah, and then yeah. all the way on through nightfall. Yeah. Oh right, he was there through nightfall. Yeah, he he was there for a long time. Jimmy Harrow yeah. and God bless him. Yeah, I, I should go back and look at some of that stuff, but it's true. He just didn't have, oh, his 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 art is so amazing during the Brave and the Bold stuff. Speaking of art, I thought the art in Firestorm, the Fury of Firestorm, was weird and rushed. Like it looked like it was shot off colored pencils or something like that. Uh, it's apparently shot off watercolors and marker pens. 
Okay, the marker pens. That's why it had this really weird... Where the blacks aren't solos, right? You mm-hmm. know that's all? Yeah, there's something really weird yeah. about it. That's what made me say when I was doing my, my uh, big post. It really reminds me of Francis Manipal. It's as if someone's like, hey, Yildre, why, why don't you look at Francis's stuff and look at the way he's got texture in there? And it's funny because he... Um, He's not the only one who has done that. Um, Tom Derenick, who's doing Men of War, has also suddenly gone in that direction. And I'm wondering if it's a new thing, whether, like, if you can add tone in, that makes the colorist's life a lot easier. Interesting. It really made me think of uh, old Neil Adams continuity comics. Like, I was like, God, for some reason I'm getting such a Samory flashback while, like, reading this, (laughs) you know? I, and I, which is not a book that I would have to say that I read or even bought, but flipped through. So it was really weird. There were parts where it's like, huh, it it looks so weirdly close to original pencils in some way, but I was still so thrown by what was going on. Good to know. That being said, I thought the setup for Firestorm was great. I just don't really. Well, I, I'm not a fan of Gail Simone, frankly. So I, I, whereas I kind of like Gail Simone a lot of times, and I thought this was fine i like the concept mm-hmm. but i think the execution wasn't there for me yeah do you know what i mean like i really like i like that firestorm is weirdly an intentional thing i like that the fury of firestorm is actually a thing i like right when like they're both firestorm and then they merge together to essentially make the hulk yeah yeah i think that's but he's a hulk idea. with nuclear powers awesome mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. yeah but there's no thing but the execution that just left me cold yeah. Well, I, I think part of that, for me, part of it is the art, and part of it is Gail Simone just, she did too much. Like, the, like, hey, we're the League of Extraordinary Torturers. Like, they weren't especially she, good she villains. Li- and she, likes, she likes that. She likes, oh, I know. She likes the, uh, I don't know, I'm pushing the boundaries or whatever her thoughts are when she's doing that, but she definitely likes the, you know, these guys are bad. Right. Thing. Right. No, I know. And it's like, that could be fine. But considering they get something like five pages just to them out of, you know, a relatively short comic, I wasn't crazy about it. But I, I, it was at the same, but at the same time, I actually liked it more than I expected to, which sort of surprised me. So I'll have to give it a shot. And I think maybe, oh, you know what I read? I read, uh, I read completely at random I read uh, Vengeance number three a Marvel comic the Joe Casey Nick Dracota comic um, which is kind of hilarious like I wouldn't have read it if a friend hadn't lent it to me uh-huh. um, and it was interesting it was goddamn. the art was fantastic like the art is Who, really who's doing it who's doing the art uh, it just it's well, it's Nick Dracota isn't it yeah Nick yeah, Dracota yeah. for yeah. some reason I and, thought someone else was doing it with him you know, maybe, but I'm I'm trying to find. It's one of those things where I think they put the credits on on the last page. So I'm like, uh, I'm getting there. Yeah, J- Joe Casey, and it's got Nick Dakota listed anyway. At least on this issue, art was lovely. Um, he, he does he does some lovely lovely work. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Um, I'm I'm stunned. I'm just I'm apparently just never going to be in the Joe Casey camp, which is amazing. That always upsets me. Not that you're not in, but that I I am not in. I always feel like I should be. I always feel that, you know, when I read Joe Casey interviews and hear him talk or, or you know, read other people writing about his books, I'm like, that sounds awesome. 
and then yeah. I read it and I'm like, I, I'm not getting it. Like, I am, right. there, I have some wavelength that I am not getting. Right. I don't understand right. why everyone else thinks X and I'm thinking Y. And yeah. that, that is always the case with zero basic comics. Yeah, it is. I always, it is I'm like, this is amazing. And I'm like, why? Why? I don't get it. Yeah. Yeah. So wait, it's you're, tough. you're telling me you didn't read Ultimate Comics Spider-Man issue two or Brilliant? I oh sorry yes I did I I think when I said that's it I I meant to yeah no I did read Brilliant and was figuring we would talk about it. Weirdly, I forgot to read uh, Ultimate Spider-Man number two. So, uh, do, do you remember how how charming Ultimate Spider-Man number one was? Yes. It's like that. Yeah. I mean, it's one of those things where like it's just really good. But it's so short. <laughs> mm-hmm. Like I can't, I cannot get away from that. And then I said that on Twitter today. People were like, "Well, just stop reading it." And it's like, <laughs> sure, but it's a good comic. Do you know what I mean? Like, it's literally like Marvel is like, just wait for the collection, right? Because it's a good comic. I enjoy it, but it's so fucking short. Mm-hmm. 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 That, yeah. that, that, that you just like you are, you cannot not be aware that you are getting conned. Do you know what I mean? Like, there's no way around it. Right. Yeah, which is which is a shame. I don't know. I I was I think that's part of why I didn't pick up because the spending that much money. In fact, the few books that I, you know, there there are books like I bought this. But there's ones that I haven't read, but I like actually bought this issue of Wolverine, which I would be interesting to talk to you about at some point, just because of what Aaron does with the Brian Bendis formula in the issue. Like, I think you'd be underwhelmed by stop, the story overall. Stop tempting me. Obviously said, the, the preview for Wolverine and the X-Men this week where they talk about the Jean Grey Institute of Higher Learning. Honest to God, I saw that and I was like, fuck you for saying, giving me such a good idea. <laughs> Do you know what I mean? I was like, I love that idea. Fuck you. Yeah. Fuck you yeah. so hard. Yeah. Because I love that idea so much. Yeah, that that is. It's a. It's you know the guys. You just can't write him off. Well, uh, we can't like because I keep on being like I don't like schism, and then the bit will always be something about schism that I like. Mm-hmm. It's like I don't like this book apart from X, Y, and Z. Right. He's always got those little bits, and they're the and and it's not like when someone like Brian Bendis throws in the little bits that he's like, oh, you're gonna love, and it's not going to catch everybody, but those that do catch are just gonna adore it. I never feel that way, but with Aaron's stuff, that's because the little, little, little bits are, are really, really, really obvious. Do you know what I mean? Like, like yeah. not everyone's gonna catch this shout out. Like, did you read the the New Avengers sixteen? Not the one that's out this week. The the one where Daredevil joins the team. Yes. Holy fuck. Like Holy his. Fuck. I'm throwing out a little bit for people reading Wade's book, and it's like one line where he's like, I'm not getting on with Captain America right now. Yeah. I was like, really? Also, yeah. I think I've said this before, but if not, I'm going to say it again anyway. Um, Daredevil and New Avengers now honestly just feels like such a fuck you to Mark Waitron. Uh, it, it, it really upsets me. But I think this is the thing. This is something that you pointed out with... Bendis, and I don't remember what, but it was several months ago. If Bendis really likes something, his way of complimenting you it's is just by to... taking it and fucking yeah, just, take, just taking it away. Yeah, just take it away mm-hmm. from you. Yeah, just like, oh, I, dude, this is so great. I am so on board. I love so much what you're doing. And who knows? Like, technically, from the sales figures, like people would be like, hey, you know, having everyone like 
you know, to <laughs> having everyone balls. being an Avenger really works out. Yeah, you know, this idea of like, well, the Avengers books, in theory, back back in the day, they would outsell Daredevil three to one. Now it's who knows, two to one, one and a half to one, something. But you know, he was like, I'm totally going to be helping you out here, bro, and it really doesn't that was that was no yeah it's it's, it's really it's yeah it's really and also it's just a terrible comic in general Mm -hmm. like the part where it's like it's just cuts you know it's like daredevil is is in the the mansion somehow like he somehow got there and he's like okay go in there and then it's like three weeks later and the guys actually say yeah whatever happened with that i don't know It's kind of like, it's honestly like, it's just like, I don't even know how the story's going to finish, but you know, I've got to move on. Yeah, no, it's always like, oh, something, 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 got to go, got to, got to get to my thing, you know? And, oh, oh God, I just, the guy is, I mean, I'm glad that I kind of like Ultimate Comic, Ultimate Comic Spider-Man number one. Which which is great. Like, Ultimate Comic Spider-Man is, is good. It's just good comics. And also, it's good Spider-Man comics. It, it's just overpriced good comics. It really Spider-Man actually. That's if it thing. was like lower, it would be easier to put up with the page length and and how flimsy it is. Also, be like, remember I said that I I would be very excited if it was a double page, a double sized first issue. Right. Having read issue two, I really wish it was because issue two gives you everything issue one didn't. If that makes sense, like mm-hmm. if the two were together, then it would have just been a stunning first issue. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. And as it is, it's just too good for issues. Right. You know what I mean? Right. Right. I can I can see that. I wish they had done that. That that would have been great. It definitely needed more. Um, brilliant. Talk about brilliant. Brilliant. Oh Jesus Christ, man! It, it, it's, it's horrible, isn't it? Oh uh, I mean, it, yeah. It's, it's horrible. It's, uh, you know the thing that's impressive to me is is that it really was done so. I thought poorly that it ha- it has like the world's most naked it's it's incredibly derivative it i i i'm impressed that he does this thing of but, but aren't you glad that he's seen the social network it's funny i'm like social network i'm thinking real genius my friend you gotta go back oh, to real genius I, with Val kilmer i've not even seen real genius oh Jesus. i honestly i honestly was reading through this and i was like yeah i thought the social network was a great film too yeah, 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 yeah. But you know what? See, see, real genius, and you'll be like, okay, it's that times a million. Like because real genius is it's Val Kilmer's best role ever, uh, or up there, and it is an absolutely great sort of teenage comedy from the eighties. But it's set in you know basically at the MIT version of the genius department. So everybody's geniuses, but the whole hijinks and shenanigans thing, like at, at one point in Real Genius, they do, like during one of their big epic parties, somebody comes, basically creates a a snow machine and ices down the halls of the dorm. So people are like ice skating down the, the dorm hallways and stuff. It's a great movie. And everyone like Val Kilmer is one of those like revelations because he's playing a character who is a genius, but also... A playful rebel and he is so fucking good at it that he's so good and so to me like looking at this all of this shit was so derivative of that meets I don't know I couldn't figure out the other half of the high pitch equation I'm like heroes is this supposed to be heroes I guess this is heroes I don't know but um 
it was really it was it was badly done and i have to say it's this other thing where you meet six different characters who have their names spelled out in a wacky logo um and then the first girl that you meet who is this girl giving him a hug is not identified and then the next girl who's the love interest does get her own logo but because she is the love interest you know? Yeah. Like, I, I, again, I'm like in this weird, like, it's like when you get allergies or something. I Or, you know, you have some bad food and then anything that's got that same whiff of trichinosis is, is just that's, like... That's that's the same with me and Ultimate Comic Spider-Man, where I was like, there's there's only one female role in this. There's only one female speaking role. Right. And it's hilarious because, like, I pointed it out in Newsarama and then after I wrote that, I was like, Justice League issue one didn't have one female character in it. Oh, I know. I really felt that when I was reading Justice League Dark. Because, of course, I was like, not only are there several female characters in it, more than in Justice League 1, but when Wonder Woman shows up, I really did have that moment of like, where's her fucking pants? Like, everyone has been making a joke of that online for such a long time. I never, I was shocked that I actually had that reaction while reading Justice League Dark. But, um... I can see where fucking Bendis would not that he's listening to this would be like, God damn it. I've got a book in here with like two ethnic characters, not just one, but two of them. Like cut me some fucking slack. Now I've got to do the women too. Like, you know, but as you do, but I, I really was like, I'm like, yeah, justice league has no female character. Most of these books are just, are womanless. Yeah. I, I honestly, I did like, I did not, realized the Justice League thing when I was reading it. It was only after today where I was like, yeah, I'm kind of stunned that Spider-Man doesn't have any uh, female characters. And I was like, wait, Justice League didn't have any at all. Yeah, at all. And eventually it's going to have Wonder Woman, but in, in this weird kind of who cares kind of way. To me, what's interesting is is that Bendis is creating... Here he is going with his, like, oh, this is my creator-owned idea. And... I feel like on the one hand, he works harder at this first issue than I've seen him work in a while. Um, on the other hand, it was still so derivative and so just, just it, it was bad. It was obvious. kind of blindingly de- derivative, which which was really the problem. Another yeah. problem again, all the characters are essentially the same character. Yeah. Do you know what I mean? Like there's kind of the nice guy and the asshole and the other guys but they're all still kind of the same character, which is, again, a real problem. Right. Right, right, right. Well, when I think When you're introducing, like, six characters at once, and they're all kind of the same. Right. Well, there's sort of the earnest guy who actually doesn't make as many jokes as everyone else, and that's how you know he's kind of the earnest guy, you know? But he still has... He still gets to banter. In theory, everyone gets to banter. Oh, it's, but... it's a Bendis comic. Everyone gets to banter. Right, exactly. Um, it's kind of interesting. It's just, unfortunately, I feel like his level of banter isn't. You know, when you get to when you get to Aaron Sorkin esque levels of it, you kind of forgive that because the banter is so hilarious. Kind of like yeah, that, that's I, just it. He thinks he's Sorkin, but Sorkin is actually an entertaining writer. Yeah, Sorkin is entertaining, even when you don't necessarily think so. But yeah, yeah, he really is. And Bendis is. Not as much, you know. No, what I mean? Bendis is sticky. Yeah, Sorkin yeah, is yeah. funny, but Bendis is sticky. And sometimes you're in the mood for the shtick, and that's great. Yeah, no, some, sometimes there are things that I think are. Amusing. It's yeah. really, really, really tiring. Yeah. yeah, yeah, yeah. And that's the problem. 
Yeah, no, it really was. I was kind of, I was very nonplussed by it. And of course, I'm very, I don't know. I just, I just don't, I don't, I don't have much faith, faith in Bendis. I really, after being dragged down the road of powers to me, which was just like diminishing returns times 12, it really got to the point where I'm like, I'm looking at this and I'm, and even in the back letters page, it's like, hey, you know, it's like, hey, you might know me from Powers, aka that book that like never comes out or whatever it is. Oh, he's talking about the letters columns or whatever. And I was just like, dude, really? I, I'm assuming at this point that it, maybe it's something that has nothing to do with you, but I don't know. There's just a st- this, this really did. I know that he will swear up and down, but this so felt like the movie pitch or TV pitch in comic book form, like blindingly so. This is like, hey, Powers Pilot is going to get picked up, and I had lunch with Mark Miller, and he told me I've got to have a follow-up idea, so when they come to me, I'll have something else. <laughs> I had lunch with Mark Miller, and I came out and was like, hey, you know what I'm going to do? This is the greatest book ever. Actually, have you seen the solicitation for um, the Criminal Collection? No. Ed Brubaker has supped from the cup of Miller. Yeah. It, it's like, the best-reviewed comic of the year! Mm-hmm. And I was kind of like, is it really? Like, it, is it genuinely the best reviewed comic of the year? I don't know. That first issue was. I think that first issue was. I mean, if you're willing to tailor it, sure, that first issue, people were really, uh, across the board, super positive of it. I don't know if everyone felt that way when they got to the end. Maybe they did. or they Well, I, like, you know, yeah, I, I, I think everyone uh, disagreed with you. <laughs> I think it really yeah. was one of those cases where people were like, what are you, insane, Jeff? This is a great <laughs> I have to say, well, I, I finally read the first issue about it in Comicsology, like I told you last week. Finally yes. read it this weekend. I didn't get a lot out of it. No, I was like, I was like, oh, it's criminal. Mm-hmm. Do you know what I mean? It's like, it's criminal, and he likes Archie. Right. Well, yeah, I mean, I think I told you at the time, I was... Because I was like, yeah, I... I, I don't know. I was kind of mad. I, I was very much like, I feel like this was oversold to me, so that when I picked it up, if I'd just been expecting one more arc out of Criminal, it would have been fine. And then, even from those standards, by the time I got to the last issue, I was like, yeah. But everyone else was like, oh my god, fantastic. And by that got to the end, they're like, oh my god, tremendous. And I'm like, yeah, I'm not. I'm, I'm so not there. Wow, I'm not there. And I made Graham pick it up. Bomb, bomb, bomb. Yeah, I know. It's a problem, Jeff. It's a problem. Dude, it's not nearly as bad as, like, Bakuman and some of the other stuff I'm still recovering from. So... <laughs> Where, where you're like, well, I, you, I, know, I totally, I guess I'm I, liking I kind it of because I have to like it. At the end. I told you that, didn't I? Not did, really. I, did I not? No, you were kind of like, I guess I'm on board because I'm on board. Oh, so wait, that so I haven't told review. you since I read Volumes 5 and 6? No, no. Oh, yeah, yeah, 5 and 6 brought me on board. Dude, tell me more. This is great news. It was the sickness. Ah, that's not true. It was the sickness, and it was the fact that the editors basically were like, "Are you fucking insane? You're too young." No. Yes. That yeah. was what finally brought me on board. Oh, great! Wow. I was like, I needed someone to finally not think that they are geniuses and that this is predestined. I need, I needed someone to come in and say, "Are you crazy?" Yeah. And the fact oh, that someone finally did, I was like, okay, then this adds some level of tension to the story. Interesting. I, because of course, when we talked, I had read those volumes, so I knew that was coming, but I was worried that kind of. I drop off off before then. 
Well, not so much that, but that more that 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 turn of events would be so Deus Ex Machina ish. You know, it's not driven by them; it's how they react to it. But that illness kind of isn't isn't something that comes isn't something of their own creation i guess no but that's okay because like the illness was the illness on its own wouldn't have convinced me it's not not the illness it's the guys it's the editor's reaction to the illness or the editor-in-chief's reaction to the illness that 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 and everyone around him going essentially on strike because they believe in him really it i guess expanded the universe so that it's not undoing anyone else being like, you are the greatest, I am. I believe in you. But it is introducing the idea that not everyone thinks that. Yeah, not everyone thinks it, or even just kind of like, there's more to life than just this. And yeah. I kind of think that, that as time goes on, one of the things that I really kind of like about Bakuman is there are, especially in those volumes, as a, each of them are kind of like, as the character with the glasses whose name I can't remember I'm terrible with everyone's names in, in most manga I admit um, like he kind of starts to have more of a life with his girlfriend and it's kind of like hey things are it's nice having a life and the guy's like shut up fuck you get back to work like he's basically ready to break up with him over it and you know again it kind of raises these questions of like well how Far, how much do you have to sacrifice for this stuff to make this work? In a, in a way that, admittedly, is filtered through this delightful candy-colored fantasy land view of it, but still is kind of a genuine and sort of germane question, you know? And ultimately, the fact that you get into this weird situation where, like you said, these editors are like, no, 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 you're just a kid. This is uh, ridiculous, and it's making us rethink the entire thing was a mistake. Not everyone can do this. And for these guys to basically hear that and be like, no, but, no, but we're working so hard. Like, it really felt to me like, okay, this is, even though this is a scene that probably has never happened in reality in any demonstrable way exactly like this, this is one of those conflicts where you hit kind of as a teen that felt real to me you know what i mean no no exactly it really was a, a, a the world is against us but i but on the a proper scale i guess yes on a proper that, scale. Mm-hmm. um so yeah it, that that did that i was eventually won over dun, dun, dun. oh my god i'm so glad i said something because you did not tell me i for some reason thought i told you last week no no i don't think so i don't think so I mean, I'd have to go back and listen to the... I think because we got cut so short, maybe, or who knows, maybe you told me at some point where I was like, yep, yep, uh, gotta go, yep, uh uh-huh, yep, yep. (laughs) Stop talking, I'm done. Uh, Graham, I've got my pants, I've got fire, Graham, pants, and so... um, And on that very note, sir... As Jeff's pants go on fire with his... Um, so we didn't. It's interesting. This is going to be. This is not where I expected us to go. Wait, where, where did you, where did you expect us to go? Is, well, are, are, there, us, are there things we haven't said that we should have? I, I think we would. I expected us to spend more time talking about DC and sort of talking about comics malaise and burnout. I suppose. You know? I, but and it's, is it not enough just to be like, oh, I'm burned out of DC, but I'm not burned out of other comics. That's just it. Right. And here's always right. like, I'm not even burned out in DC, as such. Mm-hmm. Like, I could read other DC. It's just something about the everything is beginning. That it's just like, oh, God. Do you know what I mean? Right. right. Well, I mentioned this to you on Twitter 
uh, and I know that some followers, listeners uh, follow us there, but I should say that you already know, yesterday I came home with Kate Beaton's Harka Vagrant, Commandy Volume 1, uh, the Commandy Omnibus Volume 1, Love and Rockets Book 4, The Finder Library Volume 2, and then I went and bought the the Silver Star Collection off of Comixology that was only eight ninety nine and I, I am I fucking gorgeous. Beyond jealous of all of that. In particular the um Archivation collection. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Because I, I, mean, I still haven't been to the store. I haven't been to the store at this point in three weeks. It's you know, it's some of these things are so like the Commandy Omnibus, I'm looking forward to rereading it, although I've read it before. The Hark of Vagrant, some of this material I've read three times. Like, I read it online, I read it in her first, more or less self-published collection, and I'm going to read it now. It's, But it still holds up, so... Um, I'm really, yeah. really, really, really looking forward to Hark of Vagrant. I, I think that's the thing I'm, I'm most looking forward to. I mean, I mean, even though I've read almost all of them, um, there's just something about I really want to have that as a book. It, I, think it, yeah. I think it's the thing I'm going to get as a present for myself. Yeah, I think I think that's good. Now you've read all of the commandies, so you're not worried about this last boy omnibus. I I I, I, I really, really I really want it, but I also know it's really expensive. So yeah, so it's, it's fifty bucks. It's, it's kind of tough. Yeah, it's waiting for a while. It's like, for example, I really want the Jack Kirby Demon book, but that's what two or three years old now. I still don't have it. It, oh, it is. You know, you might be able to. I would think I could pro- you could probably get a used copy on uh, like Amazon or something. And I, I might end up doing that for Commandy as well. Um, mm-hmm. we, we, we shall see. We shall see how it all shakes out. But yeah, Commandy is one of those one day books. Um, and yeah. part because like I really like Commandy, but it's not my favorite Kirby, so I can wait, if that makes sense. Like if, mm-hmm. if it didn't have the Fourth World books and the Fourth World books were coming out. I'd be like, yes, now no yeah. matter what. Whereas Commandy, I'm yeah. like, I really like Commandy, but, you know, not as much as, for example, KP. Right. Yeah, no, exactly. There's, there, I, I totally, I can totally see that. Um, so, yes, so it'll be interesting to see what will end up, because we're still reading some of these books. I've actually been sort of working on a book that I have not mentioned to you, um, that I'm reading very slowly, and when I have it done, I can't wait to talk to you a about it. A comic book or another book? A, a comic book, a, a collection. I, I'm slowly making my way through a collection that I think you will enjoy talking about tremendously. Have I read said collection? I wouldn't know, but I would think that it would be almost impossible for you not to have. Oh, God, man, I'm really curious. Yeah. <laughs> you, you, you massive tease. I've actually had more enjoyment <laughs> reading nonfiction this week. Prose, I should say. Oh, really? Reading a lot of prose. Um, I've, I've been, I think, partly as a reaction to the DC stuff. Mm-hmm. Do you know what I mean? Because the DC stuff has become like work, if that makes sense. Mm-hmm. No, totally. I've actually found myself burying my nose in prose. No pun, no rhyme intended. Uh, whenever I had the opportunity, what what are you reading? Uh, I'm just right now uh, finishing a spectacular book called Nerve, which is by a Portland writer whose name I am now going to try and find. Uh, it's a book about fear. It's called the full. The full title is Nerve: Poise Under Pressure, Serenity Under Stress, and the Brave New Science of Fear and Cool. The author is Taylor Clark, who's apparently a Portland writer. Um, and it's great. It's uh, a book. It's a very funny book. I should say that, first of all, because what I'm going to say is going to make it sound really dry. It's a book about 
why do some people get overwhelmed by fear and some people don't? Right. And what can we learn from the people that don't uh, to to make our lives better, essentially? Um, but it's not a self-help book. It's actually just like a non-fiction book. So it's, it's an investigation as opposed to, now you should go and meditate for three hours. It, it's, <laughs> uh, and it, it's, it's very, very funny. And partly because the writer is very upfront about things that terrify him. Mm-hmm. And so, for example, the introduction to the book, he's like, you know, and who am I to tell you how not to be afraid? Well, I'm someone who's scared even writing these words, so I can't tell you anything. Thanks for reading. <laughs> Enjoy browsing the store. I like, like it's, that, it's that level of, you know, every now and again, he'll go from, you know, this is what I'm reporting to, I am completely out of my depth here, which is <laughs> enjoyable to read. Right. Um, yeah, that's been a great book. I've been reading a couple of Obama books. Uh, just for some reason, like political nonfiction for me, it's really easy to read, I guess. Hmm. And and I, I really decompress reading stuff like that. So I'm just finishing reading Revival by God someone. I can't even remember who wrote Revival. Um Revival Obama I'm now on Amazon, so if nothing a Revival the Struggle for Survival Inside the Obama White House by Richard Wolf is what hmm. I'm finishing reading. Interesting. Um so that and the, the fear book the two things that I've been uh, reading in the last couple of days like I said I was reading Super Gods over the weekend as well so I've been right. reading of the Invisibles you know I read quick I should just say yeah, it's, it's, it's like I read like 17 books at once uh, I, right. read, I read really I've actually slowed down over the years and it's something that really frustrates the shit out of me because I'm like still sort of noodling my way through the James Salas book uh, that uh, I think I mentioned last week, which went from being so exquisitely written, I wanted to go out and like punch a baby, to like still exquisitely written, but like kind of barely hang- hanging together in a way that's like, oh, okay, this guy's only human after all. I can sort of handle this sort of. <laughs> this is the end of the world, hooray. Yeah, kind of. But, um, you know, but still kind of is a crime thriller, kind of enjoyable. So. Um, and I'd like to say, and then, but instead I've just got an amazing like, wish list. Yeah. It's like, I'm a who. So, uh, well, so listeners tune in next. Yeah. I, I think we are actually done. I think listeners, what you can hear is Jeff and I like actually running out of steam. It's like seven o'clock at night and we've been talking since four. See, that's it. So. I think I could actually talk about more things. It's just more like it's seven o'clock at night and, uh, and I got to work tomorrow and I'm sure you and I would both like to spend time with our wives. So. Yes. I'm, uh, it was of course Kate's birthday yesterday. Yes. Uh, yes. And I have to say listeners, I have previously told you that if you come to, Portland, you have to go to the waffle window, and I think all of you agree. Uh, yes. Listeners who are not vegetarian, this this is important. Um, where we went for dinner last night for Kate's birthday, uh, mm-hmm. spectacular. If you are in Portland and you like meat, Olympic Provisions Northwest, go and find it. Holy Mother of God, go and find it. Two reasons. One, the food was spectacular I had a roast chicken with bread salad that you know could have reduced me to tears Kate had a ribeye steak that she was pretty much exactly the same over Um, Mm -hmm. but secondly Kate asked the man for wine recommendations and I have seen this happen many times in restaurants I have never seen someone explain wine in such a clearly educated 
and intelligent way that was also so incredibly understandable. Wow. Like, even if you don't want to eat, you should go in and ask the server. I have no idea what his name is, but ask him what wine you should have with your meal just to hear him talk about wine. Really? It was incredible. It was one of those things where you kind of wanted to applaud afterwards. <laughs> That's fantastic. Wow, that sounds great. So, I'm so glad that you guys had a good, amazing birthday. Olympic Provisions Northwest, listeners, in Portland. Olympic Provisions Northwest. That is worth knowing. Uh, and on that note... On, on that note, yeah, I, th- I think we are done. Bye, listeners. Yeah. Bye. Yes, see you. Bye. See you, my friends. Ooh.